Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Good to be back in the studio. Our broadcast on Friday originated from outside American Family Field uh, right before the first game of the Brewers-Brave series. That would be the game that they won 2 to nothing. Uh, yesterday program, of course, preempted because we had game four and game three, that is, and uh, game four is this afternoon. The Brewers have their back to the walls. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I have no way of reading this particular team. I guess that's the thing and, um, going to be a difficult game. If they don't score runs, you know, two runs in 26 innings, you're not going to win a lot of games. That's it. And it's, um, as happened earlier in the year, they appear to be one in the, in one of these funks where absolutely nobody is hitting. And when they do on those rare occasions, not strike out and hit the ball hard, they hit the ball right at somebody. So that's the great thing about baseball though, is it's a cliche, but it's true. Every day is different. And you can certainly break out of that today. And we're going to all be hoping for the best. If the Brewers win today, well, Home game, Thursday afternoon. That will be wonderful as well. Hey, here's a breaking story from the world of business. And it's it's one of the reasons why, candidly, I think the stock market's been struggling for a while. And that is that employers, we've talked about this before, employers cannot find people to work. And th- there's all sorts of different reasons for it. I think some of it has to do with the government policies, which essentially have now created a disincentive for people to go to work, particularly people who would otherwise be in some of these like lower income, the lower paying jobs. And they're finding out that, gee, with all the different government benefits we have, well, it, it's really not necessarily worth working. Now, I think that's a bad way for a company, a country to be, but it's where we are right now. But here's the number. Get this. And this is kind of staggering. A record 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August. These are not people who were fired. These are not people who were downsized. These were people who quit their jobs. And um, this is a, they call them quits, and it's a new high. Um, it's been going up. Well, they've been keeping track of this since December of 2000. So this goes back 21 years, but this is an, an all-time record high. 4.3 million workers left their jobs in August. The quits rose to 2.9%. I mean, that's just staggering. Um, it was up from um, it was up 242,000, almost a almost a quarter million from the previous month. And of course, as you might expect, this is particularly hitting um, a couple industries the hardest: the food service industry and the accommodations industry. So, like hotels or retail or things like that, it was hit extremely, extremely hard. A lot of people in healthcare and social assistance also left as well. So, it's it's an ongoing problem as we try to get the economy back on track. And I don't know that anybody knows exactly what's going on, but you have more and more people who are 
even though the jobs are out there and even though if they're employed in the jobs, they're still making a decision that they don't want to do it. And, and they're, they're quitting their jobs. Now, in some cases, they're quitting their jobs and hopefully that's going to show up. Maybe they're moving across the street. Maybe they're working at, you know, a particular hotel, for example, or they're working in a nursing home and doing cooking or whatever. And they've got a job somewhere else doing the same thing. You know, maybe we'll see that in the next couple of months. But right now, the, these numbers, and again, they're called quits. um, historically record highs, and that is not a good thing. All right, let's get started. A lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We know that there are a record number of cars being stolen in the city of Milwaukee this year. It is staggering. There are almost 30 cars a day that are stolen in the city of Milwaukee. That's not Milwaukee County. That's the city of Milwaukee. Almost 30 cars a day. Many of those cars are two particular models, Hyundai and Kia. And we've talked about this before with the Hyundai and Kia. Without going into uh, graphic detail, they, they are easier to steal than other cars because of just the, the way the way they are are set up. I don't know that it's a really design defect because at the end of the day, the cars lock and stuff, but it's easier to steal those cars if you're an experienced thief than it is to steal some other cars. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's I mean, if you've got people that want to steal cars, they, they can steal cars. And the fact that you have the, the club or something that's locking on your steering wheel, that really only delays car thieves about 10 or 15 seconds if they are intent on doing it. But there's no question that Hyundai and Kia, they, they are stolen more. And to now that this is coming out, they've also made a commitment that, that moving forward, they're going to try to change some things around to make it more difficult to steal the cars. But at the end of the day, what is the underlying problem? Well, the underlying problem is you've got car thieves that are stealing cars in the city of Milwaukee with impunity. And and I say that uh, in all honesty because, for example, the juveniles that steal cars, as we have talked about this on multiple occasions, the juveniles that steal cars, they are there is no accountability for them at all. Steal cars, you will not be waived into adult court. Steal dozens of cars, nothing really is going to happen to you. You're going to be sent back to you know your mom and dad or your grandparents or whoever's raising you, and then you're going to be out on the street three or four hours later stealing cars again. There's no system in place to hold people accountable for these particular crimes. All right, so against that backdrop, and you will remember a couple months ago, you had the the mayor and members of the Common Council who, rather than calling out juvenile court judges for not holding people accountable, rather than calling out the the thieves themselves, they were saying, oh, this is just terrible. Hyundai and Kia, it's their fault. It's Hyundai and Kia's fault that you've got out-of-control criminals? Really? All right, well, this is is the follow-up to that. Here's the story in the local newspaper. Two Milwaukee women whose cars were stolen, have now sued the car makers. They're claiming that, again, because these cars are easier to steal, um, they believe that they should be entitled to, uh, again, some sort of compensation um, because the bad guys 
know how to break into these cars and they know how to steal the cars. So it's the fault of the car makers. In the first half of the year, 66% of the cars stolen in Milwaukee were Hyundais and Kias. In July, car makers began offering free steering wheel locks throughout Milwaukee. And again, Hyundai and Kia said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, in later models, we're going to beef up our anti-theft engine immobilizers technology. So we're going to try to deal with this. But at the same time, you know, that th- this is it. Kias made in 2011 and later and Hyundai models from 2015 on were most at risk to thefts. But, but of course, all sorts of other cars are stolen as well. All right, so let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so these people, they, they buy either a Hyundai or Kia. Presumably, they park it on the streets of Milwaukee. A thief comes along and steals the car. They are suing the auto manufacturer. Your reaction to that, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hey, looking for somewhere fun to watch this Sunday's Packers game? Join WTMJ Steve Scafidi at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. That's one of my St. Paddy's Day hangouts. Enjoy $18 Miller Lite buckets and $20 Vizzy buckets, as well as the WTMJ Street Team with games, giveaways, and prizes. It's the WTMJ Miller Lite Watch Party this Sunday noon at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. All right. All right, so these two people, one buys a Hyundai, I think, one buys a Kia. They both get stolen. They are not suing. They're not suing the thieves. They're suing Hyundai and Kia, saying, all right, you you don't have enough safety precautions in the car. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Matt in Wauwatosa. Matt, good afternoon. Hey, how are you, Jeff? Hi, Matt. What do you think? Well, just one thing with me is I got a 2014 Kia, and no matter where I go, I got the club and everything. Like I didn't want to tax the uh, police department. I know they're giving some away for free right. in some counties. But I, I got one anyway, and you said uh, earlier that maybe 10 seconds they can get through that, too. It's the constant anxiety of going everywhere you go, like mm-hmm. Target, Walmart, Metro Market, and you have to put the club on. You got to. They're already they're already on my mind, and that's just kind of irritating. Where you just kind of think to yourself, every day I got to do this and do this now because it's only ten seconds. And actually, your other show showed how fast they do it, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just sickening. And most of the time, it's like ten year old kids. Well, or or, or ten or twelve or fourteen year. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Matt. Uh, and, and look, and by the way, I understand. I understand the frustration. I have a uh, very good friend of mine who owns a Hyundai, and she loves it. Just absolutely loves it. But it's that same issue. I it's, love my Kia. Yeah, I can, you know, where where do you, so love the car? Okay, who who do you blame? And I appreciate this anxiety. You're saying, hey, I want to. I park at the grocery store parking lot, and I'm afraid that when I come out, the car is going to be gone. Who do you? Who at the end of the day, who do you blame for that anxiety? I, to be honest with you, my gut feeling, and I know it right off the bat, is the parents. Yeah. Uh, it's just like why, what? Because it's it, it's the the thing of where where are they getting this? Because I see these kids uh, actually filming their escapades like it's right. a, a, a passage it's a of right. Yeah, so, yeah. 
so it's sort of like if you steal a car and you film it and you throw it to your friends, you YouTube would do whatever. But then all of a sudden they're killing uh, like a 79-year-old man or uh, the, 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 the yeah. 13-year-old kid actually yeah. crashes into a tree and he's dead. Absolutely. Well, what, what, there's... There's a lose-lose everywhere. I know. Th- thanks for calling me. Well, I'm glad to say, uh, of all the different people, you, if all the different people you want to blame, I mean, l- let's let's put the blame. See, this is one of the things that drives me crazy about the, the legal system. It is all right. L- let's let's figure out. Okay, who who is really the most responsible? Well, all right. I would argue it, that's a real easy question. Who is responsible when somebody breaks a law and 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 steals the car? Well, it's the thief. That, that's the person that's doing it. Okay, that, that's the person that's doing it. So, all right. So then you say, all right, well, all right, who beyond the thief? Well, I appreciate what Matt's saying. Maybe it's the, it's the parents that aren't keeping, especially when it's all these juveniles that are stealing cars that aren't, aren't keeping them in line. Okay, that's fine. Now, next in line might be uh, the, the juvenile justice system or the court system when you find that, uh, okay, the person that stole somebody's Hyundai or Kia or Mercedes or whatever, it, it's, it's the eighth or ninth or tenth or twelfth car that they've stolen and they've just been turned back out on the street over and over again. So I think it's fair to say, okay, well, maybe we should be looking at the, the juvenile justice system and why these people are, are putting this back out on the street. I think that that might be a fair sort of thing. But the car manufacturer, to me, is so far down that line. And, and do I, do I appreciate that, okay, maybe now that you know that there's this, um, that these are easier to steal, is there technology that you can put into the new cars that might change things around and make it a little bit uh, more, dis- more harder to steal? I, that, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But to suggest that it's the car manufacturer's problem and it's their fault that your car got stolen, well, like, like I say, that's way down the line. And, and where do we, in fact, you know, draw the line on this? If you're a homeowner and your house is broken into, um, I don't know, are you responsible for it because you didn't have the most up-to-date deadbolt locks on the door? Are you responsible because you didn't have the most updated camera system? Are you responsible because you weren't paying X dollars a month to have a security system? Why don't we put the responsibility where the responsibility is, which is on the punks, the criminals who are stealing the cars in the first place. This lawsuit was inevitable when you had Tom Barrett and other local politicians who were unwilling to put responsibility where it belongs, calling out the thieves, calling out the bad guys, and then naming names, for example, in the court system, saying, look, why is this guy, this kid on the street after stealing eight or ten cars? Why is the district attorney's office waving people into adult court? Why are judges sending people to jail and or prison when they are repeated car thefts. And when you create this environment like that, is it any surprise that, you know, people, is it any surprise that then all you do is embolden people to steal more and more cars? And now we're going to blame the car manufacturer? Mike and Brown Deer. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for letting me on. Sure. I love your show. Yeah, um, I kind of agree and kind of uh, disagree. I think um, the blame has to go to majority of the blame goes to the parents. I see uh, parents. I work with youth, and I've uh, experienced a lot of coddling that's being gone, gone on with the parents and these uh, teenagers nowadays. Yeah, uh, these the children they are uh, they don't catch public transportation anymore. 
Um, I don't know what that is, but they feel uh, they have uh, they have uh, a lot of pressure. For the peer pressure is extreme for them to actually be in a vehicle now, and that these parents are coddling them. And I don't think us locking them up will solve the problem either. I think it's just uh, we need to get to the deep-rooted issue, and I think that starts at home in the community because I don't see a lot of programs, after-school programs for children, and it, it saddens me because the age, like you mentioned, these guys are pretty young. Well, I guess, Mike, here, here's, here's the thing. Okay, you say you don't see any solutions to it. And look, I, I have no problem with with after school programs and midnight basketball and all that sort of stuff. But let let us let us be honest. I'm talking about people who've already made that decision to engage in criminality. And if you have, let's take a 14 year old that's a serial car theft. And, and I don't know that it's peer pressure. It's just, first of all, it's no responsibility. They know that, they know that if they get caught in the stolen car, they're going to be back out on the streets four hours later. They know that there's no accountability for it. The only, the only thing that that changes is if them, if that kid and then three or four or five of their buddies are driving 95 miles an hour, fleeing from the cops, and they end up smashing into something and killing somebody, well, maybe, maybe then, just maybe, we might hold somebody accountable but otherwise they know that they've got a massive get out of jail free card so that this idea that well okay we, we need after school programs and stuff like that oh, okay that, that's fine but that does not exist at least in my opinion as an alternative to punishment and for the people who are out there again stealing the cars and fleeing from the cops yeah, that that's a big deal and yes, that those are the people that I say, yeah, that that's that's where you got to start looking at jail. You have to start looking at prison. You have to start looking at you know putting people in uh, again some of the reformatories or the correctional things for kids. You have to have consequences because what are we seeing? Not having consequences clearly isn't working. Thirty cars a day stolen in the city of Milwaukee. And uh, look, by the way, mark my words here. So once. Kia and Hyundai start putting out, okay, cars that are a little bit harder to steal. You know what's going to happen? Do you think the number of cars that are stolen are going to go down? No. No, because the car thieves are out there. They're just going to start stealing different kind of cars. Now, maybe Kias and Hyundais are targets of opportunity because, uh, again, they're, they're, there's some bypasses and they're a little bit easier. But if you don't think that these car thieves are going to then spend the extra 15 seconds to start stealing Toyotas or Hondas or whatever, you're, you're just, I, I think, you're, you're being naive in the extreme. The problem isn't with the car manufacturers. The problem is we have too many criminals, Juveniles and adults who are on the street who don't think that there's anything that can be done to stop them. And you know what? At least right now, if you look at the court system, they're absolutely correct. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Your Milwaukee Brewers back in the postseason after winning the NL Central for the second time in four years. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Brew October right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can listen online. You can listen on your phone. You can listen on Alexa. It's Brew October on WTMJ, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a wind trust community bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. And, of course, Game 4, a must-win for the Brewers. Use 
whatever sort of metaphor or analogy you want, but their backs are to the wall. They either win today or the season is over. Our coverage starts around 3.30 or so this afternoon. First pitch slightly after 4 o'clock. Brewers and Braves game four from Atlanta. Bob Euchre is on the call. By the way, special thanks to Bob for joining me on Friday on our special broadcast from American Family Field. It is always a pleasure to get to talk to Bob Euchre, who is truly a local, a statewide, and I would argue a national treasure. Oftentimes on this program, we, we talk about the, the cancel culture that, and this mob mentality that's out there who seizes on things that they are offended by and then tries to convince everybody else that they should be offended by this and then brings pressure to try to cancel, eliminate, eradicate, get the person fired, whatever that is. And we always talk about wh- where are there going to be limits? Are there going to be limits on the cancel culture? How far does this go? Well, we're starting to see that, that there are there are, in fact, some limits. For example, one of the latest people to be targeted by the cancel culture is the comedian Dave Chappelle, um, who very, very successful. I mean, he just performed in Milwaukee. Had, had, he's incredibly, incredibly popular. If you haven't heard about this, though, Dave Chappelle has been um, he has been identified by a, the criticism is he is what is called transphobic, and he has received all sorts of criticism for his latest special that airs on Netflix because he advanced some theories which apparently upset members of the transgender community. So, I mean, during his routine, and this was for one of his Netflix specials, he apparently, and I'm quoting now from the Washington Post, joked about transgender genitalia, said gender is a fact. In other words, okay, you're you're male or, or you're female. Okay, he said gender is a fact. And he told his audience he was on Team TERF, T-E-R-F, which is an acronym for trans-exclusionary radical feminist. He defended J.K. Rowling. She's the author of all the Harry Potter books who has been criticized for making transphobic statements. And, and most of this centers around the use of bathrooms. It's what they're talking about in many cases is a number of women who believe that individuals with male genitalia, regardless of how they identify, should not be going in and using restrooms or locker rooms or saunas or showers where there's women. So that that's that that's just what the argument is. That's kind of where J.K. Rowling was on this, and so that that got a lot of hostility from the transgender community. So they're, they're upset that he, they think he's mocking them or he's not taking their concerns seriously enough, et cetera, et cetera. So a matter of fact, what happened is a couple of these people at Netflix just the other day um, crashed a meeting of top executives um, demanding that hey, at Netflix, demanding that Netflix cancel Dave Chappelle, to take him off the air. This is, we, we cancel his contract, stop showing this. This is, this is appalling. Well, interestingly, Netflix... They're not giving in to this. Um, apparently, the, the top executive at Netflix, their co-chief executive, he said, look, we're, we're not doing anything with this. He said, look, first of all, creative freedom is one reason that we intend to keep the Dave Chappelle show online. He said, look, I know we're getting pressure about this, but he said, even though some people might find stand-up comedy to be mean spirit, the people who are watching Netflix enjoy it. 
and it's an important part of our content offering. He says Dave Chappelle is one of the most popular stand-up comedians today, and we have a long-standing deal with him. His last special, Sticks and Stones, is also controversial, but it's also our most watched, stickiest, whatever that means, and most award-winning stand-up special to date. So in other words, he's saying, look, here's the the bottom line. You know, if people don't want to watch this, they don't have to watch it. But lots of people want to watch it. He's controversial. Comedy is controversial. And no, we are not going to cancel them. So interestingly, when you had a number of the handful of these employees who stormed into the boardroom to complain about this, they're the ones who got fired. (laughs) They're, They're the ones who have been at least suspended for storming into the boardroom and demanding that this particular comedian get canceled. Now, look, I, I, I have not seen these specials. I take no position on this issue. But it is interesting that Netflix is finally drawing the line saying, look, this guy, we understand that he might be controversial, and we understand that some people might not be comfortable with what he says or might be offended by what he says. But you know what? He's really, really popular. People want to see this. The vast majority of our audience probably isn't offended by it. So you know what? We're not going to cancel him. Now, the interesting thing would be if this were a comedian who had a Netflix special that did not have the gravitas of a Dave Chappelle, that did not have the following of somebody like this, if this was just, hey, it's one of those like old um comedy specials they used to put on HBO, you know, at the Catch a Rising Star Club. If this was somebody who was a comedian that nobody had ever heard of doing the same sort of routine or offering the same comments, would Netflix have taken the same position? Would they have said, oh, comedy is edgy and and we're going to go do with this? I, I don't know. But at least at this point in time, when you're incredibly popular and you're a huge cash cow, at that point in time, it makes it easier for them to say, we're not going to cancel you. If it was a a newbie comedian, I I don't know that it would be the same result. But at least at this point in time, the people that are out trying to cancel this particular comedian, they're, they're failing. And as somebody who rails against the can- the cancel culture on a daily basis, particularly in the arts and particularly, you know, in, in comedy and things like that, my answer is always if you're offended by something, well, comedy is offensive in many respects, in many respects. If you're offended by this, well, what you should do is you just, you don't listen. You don't buy the records. You don't go to the shows. And I felt that way, whether it's Andrew Dice Clay or Rodney Dangerfield or Lenny Bruce or Jerry Seinfeld or or anybody else that's out there. If you're offended by it, all right, don't patronize it. But at the same time, this idea that they shouldn't be able to perform, that's what I think should be scary because they might be coming for one person one day and they might be coming for you the next day. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, as long as we are talking about lawsuits, here here is the deal. There are two parents. One set of parents is suing the Waukesha School District. Another is suing a different school district um, in if much further north. Both of these lawsuits are being funded, I'll tell you about them in a minute, by something called the Minocqua Brewing Company Super PAC, which is based in northern Wisconsin. This is run by the guy who um, essentially was the, the founder of, he's got a brew pub, the Minocqua Brewing Company. He ran unsuccessfully.
as a Democrat for state assembly last year, just got absolutely crunched. But one of the issues he was running on is the, the idea that he, he thinks that the Republican response to COVID has, has been appalling. Okay, so the super PAC is funding these lawsuits, at least that's according to the various reports. Here's the deal involving the lawsuit against Waukesha. All right, it's being brought on behalf of a student who contracted COVID. All right, here's the deal. Now, in Waukesha, they do not require masks, right? They, they required masks for a while. They've got in-person learning. They do not require masks. So according to the allegations in the lawsuit, um, the, the plaintiff, in this particular case, this woman, her one of her oldest son's classmates came to school with COVID symptoms on September 16th and the 17th before being sent home. Her oldest son was seated next to the sick classmate both days. So the kid comes to school. It turns out he's sick and ends up he's got COVID. Um, the sick classmate did not wear a mask. On September 19th, the boy who was exposed, who was sitting next to the, the sick classmate, developed symptoms and tested positive for COVID-19. Um, the lady then says all of her sons quarantined at home, but the younger two boys would later test positive for COVID-19, and all of them missed schools and other extracurricular activities as a result. So you get the idea. Kid goes to school. He's sitting next to a kid who, as it turns out, is sick. The kid has COVID. Um, I don't think anybody knew he had COVID at the time, but he had. They, they argue he had symptoms, and so they're not wearing masks. And so then the lady's kid gets sick, brings it home. A couple of the other kids at the house get sick as well. All right, in the statement, the lady says she got delayed notifications from the district informing her the children in her oldest son's class tested positive for the virus and then learned through another parent um, that four children in that class had tested positive. She learned that the district had no thresholds for when the class would be quarantined and that no contact tracing was being done. Instead, the district was just blanket informing parents when a child of school had tested positive, usually several days earlier. Okay, so we've now filed a lawsuit against Waukesha. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, this is very, very contentious. You know, you have COVID that is around. Um, you have a situation where we're starting to get more people vaccinated, but COVID isn't going away. In this case, a lot of pressure to try to get kids back in schools and get kids uh, get schools open. The whole issue of, of whether to put kids in masks or not is extremely contentious. And school boards are wrestling with that on a regular basis. School boards are also wrestling with the idea of how do we keep schools open? And we've got all this pressure to bring kids back. Our number, 855-616-1620. So let's break this down in its most simple form. School district has school open. Kids are permitted to wear masks but are not required to wear masks. Kid comes to school. He's sick. And he gets some of his other classmates sick. Is that the fault of the school district? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, a number of texters are making the point that there's a real problem of proof here. There's all this COVID in the community. How do you... 
How do you prove definitively that you got COVID from the kid who was sitting next to your kid in the classroom? And I, I think that that's, that's fair. But there, there's kind of a larger issue that, that is out here. And again, I don't know the, the quote-unquote symptoms that the kid who came to school who subsequently tested positive for COVID had. Um, if, if it's just like, well, the kid had sniffles or he had a little bit of a snor- sore throat or something like that, all right, is that fair to impute to the, the parents of that child that, oh, you must have known that the kid had COVID or, or something like this? But, but regardless, I mean, is it the school's fault here? If you're looking for someone to blame, I guess, wouldn't you blame the parents of the child? Let's assume for the sake of argument, just for the sake of argument, that parents know their kid is sick or have every reason to believe their kid's got COVID and they send them to school regardless. Okay, and that kid then goes and, and infects other people. Right? If you're going to try to hold someone to blame, wouldn't it be the parent of the child that's, uh, that sent their kid to school knowing, in my example, knowing that he had COVID? I mean, at, at what point in time, how far do we do we carry this? If you send a bunch of your kids to, uh, there's a birthday party, and you send your kids, a, it's a 12-year-old birthday party, and you send your son or your daughter to the birthday party, and there's 30 kids there, and they're running around the backyard and it subsequently turns out that one of the kids showed up ended up having covid and it turned into a super spreader event okay should you be able to to sue that the parents of of the child that had covid okay well maybe you can make an argument to that point i'm not saying i adopt it but maybe you can make an argument to that but should you be able then to sue the the host of the party you know, all right, you know, you have a birthday party for 30 kids. One of the kids that shows up turns out that they have COVID, but they don't know it and ultimately get a whole bunch of people sick. Are you as the host of the birthday party responsible? Isn't that sort of the same thing with regard to, to this? Now, in certain cases, I mean, for example, I think they still have e-learning that's around. If you as a parent are so concerned that your kid is going to go out and might get exposed to somebody other, somebody else's kid who's not wearing a mask or whatever, well, Okay, maybe that's the that's the time where you keep the kid home and you put them on the computer and, and things like that. This is a very very difficult balancing act for school boards to go through because n- nothing's going to make people happy if you have a mask rule. You're going to have a whole bunch of people unhappy. If you don't have a mask rule, you're going to have a whole bunch of people unhappy. You've got arguments as, with, as to kids, you know, how much of a difference do, do masks really make? And I don't want to go down that, that whole mask debate, but if you're going to hold somebody responsible, again, going back to what we were talking about in the earlier part of this hour, let, let, let's figure out who is responsible and then let's go for this. A lot more stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Maybe with Tom Barrett leaving, we'll get some people that are able to see the big picture and aren't as invested as much in the flop that has become the hop. Now, now, follow me with this. To, to build the Milwaukee streetcar number of years ago, it was like $128 million for a 2.1-mile yuppie people mover that really is turned kind of into an air trolley because if you watch it go by, most of the times there's nobody or almost nobody riding the, the thing. When the hop 
was sold to the community. We got all these different transportation estimates. We said, okay, well, it's going to attract like 1,700 riders a day. And all those estimates were based on the fact that riders would be paying a dollar to ride. And that's where all the budget estimates came from as well. Well, early on, because I think the organizers and the people who were proponents of the hop knew that those numbers were complete fairy tales, especially if you had to charge, what they said is, I tell you what, we're going to make it free. We're going to make it no charge so you can ride for no cost. And so, you know, we'll we'll just figure out where the money's coming from, you know, afterwards, and we're going to find Potawatomi, and they'll sponsor it for a year. And so at least early on, you had ridership numbers, which were, I, I think, inflated because it was free. I, I can tell you anecdotally, there, there were places at senior living centers who would take field trips down to ride the hop for free. Now, if they had to pay money to ride the hop, they wouldn't do it. But but so you had some of these numbers which were a little bit inflate, which were dramatically inflated, but it was all because it was free. Okay, that, that's fine as far as it goes. Well, now, even though it is free, that the numbers are, are appalling. Um, the ridership on the hop is right now, 2021, averaging about 700 riders per day. That's one-third of what it was before the pandemic. So that's one-third. And it, when you think about it, it makes sense. Downtown still really isn't open. Um, there weren't that many people riding it to begin with. And, and now there's, I don't want to say nobody riding it, but there, there's nobody riding in any sort of significant numbers. And again, keep in mind, it's still free. Well, here is when I say free, and that is in quotation marks, because here's the problem with free. Nothing is free. It has to be paid for in some way, shape, or form. And what the city is now saying is that in order to keep the hop running in 2022, there is a three M as in million dollar hole in the streetcar budget. So in other words, the revenue that it is bringing in is $3 million short of, you know, what they need to operate it. So that money now has to come from somewhere. So that's what the issue is. So the question becomes, all right, where where is this going to come from? So the idea that's floated around, and I want to give credit to Fox 6, because they are, to my knowledge, they are the, they're the only media entity in this community outside of shows like mine which are are focusing on the fact that the hop really is a failure and we're at least presenting evidence that raises questions about it whereas everybody else is oh this is just this wonderful thing and of course you know all right the only reason that it, nobody's riding it is because it doesn't go anywhere so we need to spend another billion dollars or 500 million dollars to make it go other places that other people won't ride so so here's the, the deal, and Fox 6 is reporting this, you've got this $3 million hole in, in the budget. So you've got to come up with $3 million from somewhere in order to continue to fund the hop. So apparently what they are considering doing is they are considering trying to raise more revenue from parking. So here's the way Fox 6 reports it. Drivers in Milwaukee may soon have to pay for parking until 9 p.m. at night in downtown Milwaukee. Because right now I think it knocks off at 6 o'clock. So they want to say, let's keep the meters open for another three hours, and we'll, we'll try to generate revenue that way. In addition, they are looking at expanding, increasing the cost of parking tickets. 
Let's charge people more for parking tickets so we can use that dough to try to subsidize the, the hop. This $3 million budget hole. Now, this all comes at kind of a perfect storm. So at the same time, they're talking about keeping the meters open longer and raising the cost of parking tickets. What's happening is parking revenues in Milwaukee, I think largely because of the pandemic, are down dramatically. Story I'm looking at, um, last year, uh, $19 million shortage, reduction in parking revenue. Now, that's not all from parking tickets. Apparently, Revenue from on-street parking came in at 50% under budget. Off-street parking in city parking garages was down 48%. Loss in towing revenue. And the biggest budget hit came from parking tickets. $8 million drop in parking citations because... People aren't, aren't back yet. They're not going on the streets. They're not parking on the streets. They're not using the parking meters. So if you're not using the parking meters in the first place, then, you know, you, you can't, you know, get a parking ticket. So parking revenue down dramatically. Big hole in the hop budget. And so the idea that's being tossed around is, okay, let's, let's keep the meters open for hours longer let's increase the cost of the parking tickets and we'll try to plug this 3 million dollar hole 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line if look i i understand the reality until tom barrett steps down and goes off to luxembourg to be the ambassador which you know hopefully will happen by the end of the year and until you get new leadership in the city that is not as emotionally invested in the hop as being the legacy. I understand that you're, you're not going to discontinue the hop. I, I think, you know, once Barrett leaves, the idea that we're going to throw hundreds of millions of dollars more in expanding it, I, I think that's going to be a much, much tougher sell, but time will tell. But, all right, given the fact that there's not enough money to pay for this, given the fact that there's this huge hole, and given the fact that nobody knows how to plug this, to me, the idea of increasing parking fees or you know making extending the hours at the parking meters so you can hopefully generate more revenue from parking tickets and, and maybe some more you know money from people that are staying there to me that's unacceptable if we're going to have this hop my argument would be why don't we do what we said we were going to do when we built it and, and let's just do this honestly and really find out once and for all If we did what we were supposed to do in the first place, which is charge people, how many people would actually ride it? Now, my and I think, you know, if you talk to people in the city, they'll they'll tell you if you put them on a lie detector, they'll tell you honestly that they know that, you know, if you charge a dollar to ride the thing, if you've got 700 people riding it a day, they'll probably tell you it's down to 200, which raises then the question of, all right, how much longer do we subsidize this? But isn't it a superior alternative if you've got this shortage all right, you know, maybe you start tinkering with these other things, but isn't it finally once and for all time to start charging to ride the thing so we can see if anybody really thinks there is a value to it? And isn't that a superior option than, all right, we're going to raise parking fees on everybody, which, by the way, is extremely regressive. By that, I mean you know, low-income people get hit disproportionately high, hard, harder by getting those parking citations. For somebody... You know, who who makes 
$30,000 a year, you know, getting a handful of parking tickets that are now going to go up to 25 or 30 or $35 has a lot more impact than somebody who makes $100,000. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Shouldn't we expect the hop to at least try to pay in some respects for itself? And maybe that comes from charging people like they were supposed to do in the first place. 855-616-1620. To me, that's a superior option to all this other stuff. At least it's what you should do first before you start exploring all these other alternatives. What do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, think about, how about calling out some of the political and corporate officials who are all in on pushing this foolish waste of money? That would be the hop. Just think of what Milwaukee could have done for some of the poorest neighborhoods. We love coming to Milwaukee for activities, but I'm disgusted with spending my money there sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, if if, if you want to look at, like, the federal transportation money, $70 bucks or whatever that was, it, it's difficult to imagine a more foolish way that that money could have been spent. Think of what you could have done with putting that money into, say, the bus system, for example, to help low-income riders get around and stuff like that. But no, 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 we had to have this yuppie people mover. Now, like I say, I think when Tom Barrett ultimately steps down, I think trying to find advocates for the hop is going to be a lot greater. And I, I think it's going to be, of course, who knows, unlikely that you're going to have people that are going to want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars of good money throwing it after bad money. But at some point in time, you've got a $3 million budget hole now. This is reality. You've got, as many people are pointing out, they don't know if they can hire cops. And yet we're going to increase parking revenues and keep the meters open longer to try to continue to subsidize the failure that is the hop. My point is, at least short term, shouldn't we see if there's really a value to this? And shouldn't we say, all right, we we want people to start paying. Now, even at a dollar a ride, it's not going to be close to being self-sufficient. But at least let's find out whether people really think that there is a value to it or not. And that's by doing what we were told they were going to do back when they built the darn thing, which is charge a buck a ride. Marty in Oak Creek. Marty, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Really enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. I have to be honest. Um, If I were to set up a business, I would plan on you know, there's going to be a deficit for a couple of years. Then you break even, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a year or two later, you're turning a profit. Yeah. But um, I would also have an exit strategy. And I think your plan, your idea of charging, seeing if people are going to support this thing, right. is an excellent test test of the waters. And I think it should be done. Yeah. And, and look, I and, I, and, and I agree. Right. Well, thanks for the call, Marty. And again, look, I understand that the whole the budget hole is so big that if you start charging it, it you're not you're not going to you're never going to have enough ride the math just doesn't work out you're not going to ever have enough riders I, I think to completely fill that that budget hole but but that's okay because you know lots of public transportation is subsidized so i mean i, I understand all that but at least it would give you an indication about whether people really think there is a value to this or not. And I keep going back to the fact that that's all these ridership estimates and and the whole justification for building the thing in the first place was based on these assumptions that people will pay. 
and 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 I think if you talk, like I said earlier, you talk to officials now, they'd acknowledge that if you start charging anything, if they've got an average of 700 riders a day, you start charging, it's probably down to 200. Maybe it's even less. Right now, it's, it's still sort of this novelty. But the, the chickens, I hate to use that, but, but the reality, is, I was going to say, the chickens are coming home to roost. I, I mean, here's the thing. You're looking at this big budget hole. There, there's not the money. So you've got to get the money from somewhere. So now it's, okay, we're going to raid the parking revenue fund and the parking revenue fund is struggling to begin with those numbers are way down because of the pandemic jeff wagner the hop is ridiculous my office faces the hop i have never seen never seen more than four people on it typically maybe i see one person riding a day it's a disaster a waste of money and by the way it's always in the way it is always in the way if you've ever tried to drive downtown nowadays with the streets all torn up and all you just i mean it's it's just a mess. It's it's just a mess. And now that the novelty has in fact worn off, you wonder where you're going to go. Jeff, why would we go backwards to 1890s technology in 2021? It's beyond wasteful and it's useless. Well, um, okay, Jeff, I think it should be satisfied by a user fee for those that use the hop. Um, if I am using a meter, that means I'm using my car and I'm even, and even using the hop. We're always paying the wheel tax. Um, so, I mean, well, right. You're, you're paying sort of user fees, but the hop ends up being a freebie. Well, why does the hop continue to be a freebie as well? Jeff, sometimes it's just best to cut your losses and make it go away. You can't dig yourself out of this hole. Another reason not to go to Milwaukee. Um, right. Jeff, if the hop cannot flourish with a championship Bucks team, uh, then it has no chance. Well, the argument would be, the reason people don't ride the hop that cost $128 million to build, the reason people don't ride it is it doesn't go anywhere. Well, okay, that's something that many of us said from the beginning, that it doesn't go anywhere. But the answer is, all right, let's take $400 million and, and, and let's expand it. So then you're going to have a you know half-billion-dollar investment that might attract a few more riders, but it's still – not really going to go anywhere. It's not like it's going to go to the airport. It's not like it's going to go to, you know, the medical college. You would be so much better off taking this money and figuring out ways to put it into transit that people might really use. And that's why I continue to keep coming back to the whole idea of the rubber tire trolleys and the buses that you can, you know, you can add extra buses when the uh, brewers are at American Family Field. You can add trolleys when you're trying to get people down to the Summerfest grounds, when Summerfest or the ethnic festivals are going. You've got the big stuff going on in the Deer District. Well, well, cool. Let's, let's get some of these rubber tire trolleys to haul people around. But this idea of fixed line transportation in a city like Milwaukee, with the weather that we have, with the population base that we have, was always always doomed. And unfortunately, at least in my opinion, what happened is you had some political egos, starting with the mayor, who got involved. This was going to be their legacy. And now we're dealing with the consequences of it. And we've been trying to pretend that there's not problems here. Well, it's this reason that people aren't riding it, or it's that reason that people aren't riding it. But, you know, we were supposed to have these ridership estimates based on people paying. We've never charged them a dime. Let's do what we said we were going to do in the beginning. Let's start charging 
charging, and let's see if anybody thinks that there is a value. We know what the answer is, but doesn't that make more sense than trying to make people who really don't have the money subsidize the yuppie people mover that is the hop by paying more in parking tickets? Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A couple texts here among the many. Jeff. Spend the money on the police. Park the hop as a monument and name it after Tom Barrett. Well, I mean, okay, we are going to be talking about this a little bit later, but think what you could do. There's a $3 million shortfall for the hop that they have to, they're looking at, at coming up with revenue out of the parking budget that's already dramatically depleted because of the pandemic. Think what you could do with $3 million. I mean, think how many cops you, you could buy. For one of the callers earlier on who was saying, we need after-school programs or we need this. Think think what you do. Think how many social workers you could hire for $3 million, and yet we're going to come up with $3 million to hire and subsidize the yuppie people mover that is the hop. And here's my favorite favorite email so favorite text of the day so far jeff i 100 percent agree with you about the trolley and i never agree with you about anything <laughs> i said okay i said well see and my comment was see listen long enough and we can always find some common down ground he said well actually it's probably the first time in a year always is probably a bit of a stretch but okay you know we, we bonded together and that that tells you conservatives liberals moderates doesn't matter everybody recognizes the hop is a flop and the sooner we move on from it the better this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love that commercial. Chuck in a truck. Yeah, go find Chuck in a truck. It, it's almost never going to work out well. In a, in a previous life, I, oh, when I, for the four or five years that I was in the private practice of law, I, I dealt with a number of number of building construction cases where homeowners thought they were helping themselves out or businesses thought they were helping themselves out by saving a few bucks and hiring chuck in a truck and it almost never worked out well learn that i learned i wouldn't say i learned it the hard way because i learned it by seeing mistakes that other people had made huh why did you think that it was a good idea to hire that guy that was down at the handy andy and bring him over and have him go up on your roof with the blowtorch and try to put on that roll-on roofing thing and gee next thing you know the building burns down what a surprise that is chuck in a truck i love it annex wealth management is a proud sponsor of brew october it's time to know the difference if you're ready to put things in order so are they annex wealth management provides investment retirement tax and estate planning as a local independent partner head to annexwealth.com and click the get started button all right i i, I said hey coming up next tony evers you know where, where did tony evers put the legos now this this story i'm going to tell you is at least as far as i know tony evers is not promoting something like this right now but you know what i, I think he'd love to if he thought he could get away with it, because I think one of the things you see in Madison now is, especially in the executive office, they look to certain states, including California, as being like the dream. Boy, we, we wish we didn't have these pesky conservatives and Republicans that get in the way of all our dreams. And boy, wouldn't it be great if we could be more like California? Well, here is the latest story out of California. And I want to get your reaction to this. Now, let me kind of back into this. When you go into... A retail store. Let, let's say, I don't, they don't have Toys R Us, I don't think, anymore. But when you would go into a Toys R Us store, or you go into the toy department at, at Target or Walmart or, or whatever store that's going to be, the retailer will line up the toys in different aisles. Now, the retailer does this 
There, there's always a method to their madness, and there's a lot of, of science that goes along with consumer buying habits. So retailers know, hey, if we put these products in this aisle and we congregate these things that are alike together, it's more likely that people will, will find them. All right, so retailers make these various decisions essentially based on what their studies tell people, tell them that people will buy. And, and so it, it makes more sense, for example, to put the dolls together in, in one segment rather because I don't know what we find is typically the, the kids that want to play with like the trucks and stuff, the toy trucks, they're not necessarily going to be the same people that want to buy the dolls, right? It's, it's just there's different markets that are there. And I understand that this is something controversial to say in 2021, but there still is a reality. It was true when I was a kid. It was true that when you were a kid, it was true when your parents were kids. It was true when your grandparents and great parents, great grandparents were kids. And that is that boys and girls are, are different. And boys and girls, in many cases, have, have different tastes. And there's nothing that says that a girl can't play with a truck or a boy can't play with a doll. But the retailers know that for whatever reasons, whether it's gender stereotypes or whatever that might be, you know, the retailers know that, gee, you know, it's going to be more likely than not that, you know, girls are going to come in and they're going to gravitate more to the doll section than boys are. And boys might gravitate more to the, the Tonka truck section, which isn't saying that girls can't buy the trucks and boys can't buy the dolls. Now, why do I tell you this? Because California, the government... And this was a law that was signed into law by Governor Garrett, Gavin Newsom on Saturday. Assembly Bill 1084. I am not making this up. It now says that starting two years from now, businesses, retailers are required to have non-gendered toy sections. Non-gendered toy sections. So what this means, well, this is the way they describe it. Traditionally, children's toys and products have been characterized by a child's gender. In retail, this has led to a proliferation of, say, science and technology geared toys in a boy's section and toys that direct girls to pursuits such as caring for a baby, fashion, and domestic life in another section. The segregation of toys by social construct is what is appropriate as to what is appropriate for each gender is the antithesis of modern thinking. So this law well, it says that retailers can still have a boys and girls section, but will require them to have a reasonable selection of toys and items in a gender-neutral section, regardless of whether they have been traditionally marketed for either girls or boys. The requirement will apply to retailers with 500 or more employees in California, so think Target, Walmart, things like that. Failing to meet it, you will face a $250 fine for a first offense and $500 for any offense after that. So you've got to have gender-neutral sections for the toys. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, stuff like this makes my head explode. Do we really need the government coming in and telling a retailer how they have to arrange the toy aisle. 
you know, and, and if a retailer decides, all right, you know, I want to group the trucks together with the baseball gloves and the superhero figurines, and that's going to appeal more to boys than it is to girls. Do we really need the government saying, no, you cannot do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's one of the statements. Part of it is to make sure if you're a young girl that you can find a police car, a fire truck, or a periodic table, or a dinosaur. And similarly, if you're a boy and you're more artistic and want to play with glitter, why not? Okay, well, that's not the point. If you're a boy and you want to play with glitter, all right, there's a section of the store that's going to have glitter on it. If you're a girl and you want to buy a, a toy police car, you, you can do it. Do we need the government, though, saying, well, we have to tell retailers where they place toys in the toy department? 855-616-1620. And where does, I mean, where does it stop? If we're doing that for, for children, I mean, I don't know. Can you have, should we be allowed to have, I don't know, gender driven decisions in other areas what what about the makeup area i mean you know makeup area if you if you go into makeup pretty much most of it it's going to be targeted for women well is that discriminatory towards men are are we creating the stigma that hey not all women want to wear makeup 855-616-1620 but the bottom line the bigger point is this whole idea of government overreach do we need the government going in and telling retailers what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do when it comes to setting up toys my answer would be no. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our regular listeners, Heather, has a great point. Jeff, what you're talking about is called merchandising, and the overseeing corporate entity usually has guidelines about how things are placed on the shelves. How will we merchandise the maxi pads? Yeah, is that going to be the latest thing in California? Here, we don't want men who get sent to the store to buy feminine hygiene products for their wives. We don't want them to feel uncomfortable, so we're going to take the maxi pads and we're going to mix them in with the chili, for example. It's it's just it's crazy and it is a government overreach that's what drives me that's what drives me nuts about this entire thing does the government really need to invest itself in telling target or toys r us or whoever that you know you this is how we want you to arrange the toys in the toy department let's talk to uh, greg in kenosha greg you're on wtmj hey jeff thanks for taking my call sure. your text is kind of Stole a little bit of my thunder. I mean, I work in grocery retail, so the thing is, it's not—it's not just whether or not someone feels uncomfortable. I and mean, quickly, I mean, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I have a lot of Star Wars action figures. So as a male, I bought free to play a Star Wars action figures. <laughs> didn't care about didn't care about that. But the problem is now you're going to have Mattel, Kenner, and everyone else who buys space on these shelves. Now you're going to have internal arguments as far as who owns the rights to what shelves, right. where you actually where you put these things. Marketing is a big problem. You can't just wave your hand and hope to change these things because now you're changing corporate money, not just the business's money, but corporate's money, the ones that actually shell out the money to write the space on these shelves. That's right. an entirely different can of words. Well, no, thanks to Colgate. You're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, and of course, now you're creating more con, uh, consumer confusion. Okay, I, I'm I'm looking to buy a doll. All right, you, I'm looking to buy a doll for my granddaughter. Okay, so 
all right, well, now, no, we're not going to find the doll section because now the dolls are going to have to be next to, I don't know, the Marvel action figures because you don't want somebody to be accused of saying, okay, you're being sexist because you're suggesting that your granddaughter can't also be interested in playing with an action figure. No, I mean, you, you look, the, these are decisions, this is the bigger point, these are decisions that businesses make as to how they want to sell their products and where they want to put the goods on the shelf. Now, here's one of our texts that says, Jeff, you should also know that California law also includes clothing and eliminates boy-girl departments. That might be enough, um, you know. So, I, I mean, if that, in fact, is the case, how, how ridiculous could that be? Now, look, and I, I understand that there's girls that wear blue jeans and that there's, I don't, I, I mean, look, I, that's that's fine. Parents can decide to dress their kids as they want, but isn't it convenient? <laughs> I mean, aren't we talking about just a convenience issue with, like, figuring out what you want and, gee, okay, this is the truck aisle. This is where all the, this is where all the model toys are. Okay, this is where all the police cars and this is the Tonka trucks and this is the matchable cars. And it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. You know, you you go down that, that aisle and that's where you find what you want. And these are where all the dolls are. Instead of worrying, gee, we could get fined $500 for every violation so so we have to set up this whole idea of gender-neutral toys because we don't want people to feel stigmatized. Well, I mean, you want to talk about a you know solution looking for a problem. You know, that's that's the whole thing. Jeff, without government, what would we have to complain about? Well, you do wonder that that if, if this is the issue that you have to you know, identify, you know, if this is, this is the thing that, gosh, we've got all these different issues in California, whether it's immigration or the fact that we're afraid that it's going to be earthquake and, you know, half the state is going to break off and float into the Pacific Ocean. But we're worried about like gender neutral toys because some kids somewhere might say, gee, um, you know, we, we want to make it easier for the boys to feel comfortable buying the easy bake oven. At some point in time, also, once you get that off of the aisle in the toy department, you're still going to have to put it in the shopping cart and go up to the counter and, and pay for it. And it's still going to be the boy there buying, you know, or his parents buying the Easy Bake Oven or the girl that's buying the the parents of the girl that's buying the I don't know, the whatever you want to identify as a traditionally sort of male type of thing. Nancy in Burlington. Nancy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I, ra- I raised three boys. My niece has three boys. My youngest wanted a baby Barnaby. No problem. He had a baby Barnaby. He had a my buddy. In fact, he nursed his baby Barnaby because my girlfriend had a baby at the same time. Okay. Um, children know what they want. You don't have to gender neutral. I mean, the little boy who wants the easy bake oven could well grow up to be a chef. Sure. Or or not. I mean, let kids be kids, for God's sake. Well, they, well, they, right. they don't need the government to tell them what aisle their toys are in. Well, that, that's exactly right. Exactly. Thanks, right. It, 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 you're, Heather, you're, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Nancy, you're absolutely right. That that's what the And that's what the dialogue is. And they don't need the government. And see, this is the even bigger issue, that you don't need the government telling the retail business who, at the end of the day, the, the retailer's job is to make money, right? They want to sell their product. And I want to go back to where we started this conversation. You know, there, there are... There's an, there are people, you know, with, with MBAs and PhDs who study the art of, of 
shopping and how you place stuff and, and where stuff is placed on store shelves and, you know, what sections you put different things in in order to, uh, again, sell the most product. And, and this kind of puts that all on its head. There's a related issue. I haven't worked up as a topic. I'm not sure we'll ever do it. About there are some people who are upset that when you go into grocery stores, there are still aisles that say ethnic foods on them. You know, they, they have aisles that are designated for what we would describe as, as again, I don't, maybe it's where you go to find the, the, Chinese, the authentic type of Chinese food, you know, whatever. It, it's de- they're designated as as the ethnic food aisles, and there's some people that are upset with that. Well, this is unfair. You know, you shouldn't be identifying this as ethnic foods. Well, the reason the grocery stores do that is they want to make it easy for people to find stuff. They, they, you know, if you're coming in and you're planning again, in my example, you're planning a, a traditional uh, Chinese dinner, and I'm talking about traditional stuff. You go to that aisle where you're going to find the herbs and spices and the stuff that you're going to need for that, as opposing to have to search through the store and f- go to three or four different locations looking for it. It is a convenience. This, to me, is the same thing. If you go in there and you're, I don't know, you're, you're looking for the matchbook cars or something like that, what what's wrong with having that in the quote-unquote boils, boys' aisle and the easy-bake oven in the girls' aisle, and if somebody wants to Buy it for your boy because, you know, he's got talents as a chef or, you know, the gal wants to grow up to be a truck driver and she wants that Tonka truck. That's all great. That's all great. You need the government telling us you want to talk about micromanagement. You need the government telling retailers what shelf you can put a particular product on. And in California, the answer is apparently yes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, that didn't last long. John Gruden is the head coach, or up until yesterday, was the head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders, or actually, are, that's the former Oakland Raiders team. They moved to Las Vegas, what, a year or so ago. Um, John Gruden, well-known, lengthy, lengthy resume um, as as a professional football coach. As a matter of fact, he, um, he actually, I, I think, you know, he started, or at least one of his first jobs was at, at Green Bay. Um, 1992, he was working as a wide receivers coach under Mike Holgren. Spent three years in Green Bay. Went on to become the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, he was chosen to be the head coach of the then Oakland Raiders by the owner of the Raiders at the time, Al Davis, in 1998. Um, so he was there for a couple years. Um, ultimately, after four seasons, he left Oakland, went to Tampa Bay, and you know took over um, with Tampa Bay. It, it was actually it was quite an acquisition because Bay had to essentially buy out his contract with Oakland, and they had to you know uh, give him draft picks and things like that. So um, came in with Tampa Bay, 
was extremely successful, took Tampa Bay to the um, playoffs and, um, you know, ended up, you know, quite a successful career for a while. He ended up leaving Tampa Bay after he was fired after seven seasons with the team. So he left in 2009. Um, after that, he worked for ESPN for a number of years. And then so he was a commentator and you, you probably saw him on a lot of the shows and things like that. And he was brought back in 2018 to be the head coach of the Raiders. So he was back with Oakland and then subsequently Las Vegas. Now, why are we talking about John Gruden? Because he's a very successful football coach. At least he was. He's also was a prominent member of the media, sports commentator on ESPN. He is now history <laughs> because what what happened is, and I'll kind of it, it's a little bit convoluted, but the Washington Football Club which used to be the Washington Redskins, but now they're not the Redskins anymore. The Washington Redskins are under investigation by the NFL for um, allegations of misconduct as far as you know racism and sexism and things like that. So there's this lengthy investigation that is being conducted into the, the Washington Redskins, formerly Washington Redskins. And so as part of the investigation, they've turned up a bunch of emails that John Gruden sent to the then president of the Washington Redskins. They were the Washington Redskins at the time. And and these, this isn't just like one or two emails. What was first reported on Friday, and this was when there was problems with the NFL and they were having problems negotiating with the, the union, there was an email that was turned up on Friday that dated back to 2011 where Gruden had sent an email to the president of the Washington football team uh, talking about the union head and and just describing describing his lips as being um, the size of Michelin tires. And the guy's African-American, he's black. And so it, it was viewed as, I think appropriately, kind of like this racial slur. And when it was first reported, it was just, okay, it's this one instance. And this all broke on Friday, and the show was my show. We were doing our, our baseball show, so we didn't get around to talking about it. But if we did, my question would have been, okay, is this one email – enough to cost Gruden his job because there was all, I mean, again, it was getting all sorts of attention. Well, as typically happens in these cases, it's not just one email. And apparently in this investigation of the Washington football team, they found a, a boatload of emails that Gruden had sent to, again, the president of the the Washington football team. And um, let's see, used numerous emails. He referred to the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, as he used a homophobic slur for for Goodell. Um, He wrote that Goodell should not have pressured then St. Louis Rams coach Jeff Fisher to draft Michael Sam in 2014, who was the first openly gay guy that was drafted. And he used, again, a slur a homophobic slur to refer to, you know, Michael Sam. So th- those comments were confirmed as well. And then apparently the emails also included anti-transgender conversations that mocked Caitlyn Jenner, another one that made an anti-gay joke about Tampa Bay Buck 
Buccaneers co-owner Brian Glazer. Um, among the other troubling details, Gruden and some of the participants shared photos of topless women including at least one Washington football team cheerleader. Other emails included more anti-gay language. Gruden also wrote that Eric Reed, a player who kneeled during the national anthem protest, should be fired. So the, the, all these emails have now come to light, and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal got a hold of them. So now you have this pattern of these emails that are out there. None of them, as far as I can tell, are from 2018 or later, the time that he was the the coach at Oakland and now at Las Vegas. But you apparently have numerous emails that this guy wrote over a period of time that by any standard, you kind of look at and say, what were you thinking when you wrote it? In any event, he's now been fired slash stepped down slash resigned, whatever you want to call it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I have a two-part question for you. Um, is this the end of John Gruden as a media personality slash football coach? And if so, is this fair? Is he being unfairly targeted by, like, the cancel culture? Hey, he's a professional athlete. He's a football coach. Yeah, he's sending these sort of things. All right, does he deserve what he gets? Um, or is he being unfairly targeted? 855-616-1620. I guess the other related point is, all right, what, what else is out there? Because if Gruden was doing this, um, is there a likelihood that a lot of other people were doing it? 855-616-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, now to put it in context, this whole John Gruden thing, it it's really... It's not one email. I think if we were just talking about the 2011 email that he sent with the arguably racist, yeah, let's take out arguably, with the, with the racist characterization of the union head, the NFL union head, you might be able to say, okay, but that was 10 years ago, and he was upset because this was in the context of the NFL getting ready to do a shutdown and things like that, and it was a stupid thing to say, but, okay, th- but it's not just that. This is a lengthy pattern of emails where, I guess, if you want to describe this as as locker room talk, he felt, you know, that he was confident enough to put this all down in emails and send it out. Now there's a written record of it, and it's come back to to bite him in the butt. 855-616-1620. So it's not just a a one-time thing. It's a pattern of what would arguably be inappropriate remarks. At the same time, these were, and this is another factor, these these were private communications, I mean, it's not like he's posting stuff on his Twitter account. It's not like he's, you know, doing interviews and saying this stuff. These were things that he was saying in private that I think he probably never, ever, ever guessed would become public. And the only reason they become public is the NFL is doing this this huge investigation into the Washington football team, and they turned up indirectly when they looked at all the emails that were sent to these executives of the Washington football team over the last decade. Does that make any difference? Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on W. TMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, to me, um, he's finished as an NFL coach or a commentator. I, I think 
a lot of our media, you can see where it's getting more integrated all the time. So he's done with that. I, I think, uh, on the other hand, you know, him being uh, labeled as a racist, I mean, he coached in the NFL for how many years, and he had probably a team uh, 60 mm-hmm. 70% integrated, you know, his whole career. And if he didn't have complaints against him then as being a racist or homophobic in public. Yeah, you I don't hear that from the players. That, that's true. You don't hear you don't hear the players coming up and saying, you know, we, we think he discriminated against us. This is just the – and it's actually – it's more of the homophobic stuff. I, I get the sense that a lot of these emails are, are really more concerned with that. So you think he's done in the NFL? Oh, yeah. He, he, they're not going to let him back in. I mean, because obviously uh, – they they go they've tried to go to great lengths to um, erase some of their problems like when Ray Rice you know hit hit his his girlfriend he he never right. played or he might have played but he never um he had a very short career and Kaepernick uh, being done because of his anti uh, mm-hmm. uh pants okay. I mean he's done okay how about but is I he done in the media deal. is he done as a commentator, would would ESPN touch him after all this? Oh, ESPN won't. I mean, you know, maybe he could get into some kind of college thing in the right area, but you know, as a commentator. But I, I think even that would be a a stretch. You know, I, I think I, I honestly think he's he's done as a as a sports commentator. You know, I right. mean, if he can resurface in some other. Uh, aspect right. of uh, broadcasting perhaps but and I, I i mean this this shouldn't have happened to him where i mean obviously he's a degenerate and well, you know he's he's saying all these things but i mean in football you, you coaches are always playing the heavy hand and yelling and screaming i remember playing in high school where Everybody was yelling at you, you know. Well, like, what, what Stacey called about, yeah, I mean, but of course, this, this wasn't even his coaching thing. This He was pretty much, I think, out of coaching by most of the stuff. It was just, I guess, one of the things that does strike me about whether or not this is a fair outcome or not, it's just, it's such, it's so incredibly stupid for, you know, somebody who's, a, a public figure like this, and again, this is this is over a pattern of time. We're, we're not we're not going back to okay. This isn't you know. The, the, did Josh Hader do something stupid when he was a high school sophomore? This is you know John Gruden as as a grown man who's either a head football coach or he's a commentator for ESPN who's writing this stuff down and then hitting the send button. That's the thing. Now a number of people are are making a very interesting point. The Super Bowl halftime show this year dr dre snoop dogg eminem mary j blige and kendrick lamar lamar now these are very successful artists combined for 43 grammys 22 number one billboard albums and as a number of you are pointing out if you look at the language for example a lot of the lyrics of a lot of the songs it would certainly fit in in the same sort of context of, of some of the things that, that Gruden was saying. And so that that is sort of the interesting thing that, okay, we're going to celebrate this. We're going to hire some of these guys who have some of these songs that have these lyrics that are arguably, in many cases, a lot worse, a lot more misogynistic, a lot more homophobic um, than uh, what, what Gruden said. But yet you're going to put them on stage at the Super Bowl halftime. So that being said... I think this is one of these deals where 
I, I look at this, and to answer the first question, I, at least in my opinion, he's done. There's not going to be – no NFL team will touch him. My guess is no college team at this point in time is going to touch him. As far as media, well, his chances of going to ABC or NBC or CBS or Fox Sports or you know ESPN, that, that's not going to happen. Now, is it possible that he might end up on you know some sort of small you know station somewhere? out there on the internet or something. Yeah, it's possible. But I don't think it's going to be for a while. I think, you know, John Gruden, and, and candidly, I, I think in some respects, he, he's he's made his own bed. Now, you can argue, okay, the guy's not a racist. He's not a homophobe. These were just, you know, like stupid things that he would say and that he shouldn't have said them and all those type of things. But when there is, in fact, this pattern, and given the fact that he, he's not a kid, it to me, it's just, it's so just staggeringly stupid that you know, if you're an ESPN commentator, you'd be you'd be doing gauge, you'd be sending emails to people, you know, or gay jokes. And this is an idea, and it's one of the objects lessons that's out there for for everybody. That you know, I know people think that when stuff is out there on the internet, that it's like private. But this is just another example of where nothing ever is private, and and maybe that's not fair. Maybe you've got to say, hey, before Al Gore invented the Internet, you know, if this were four guys sitting around a bar one Saturday night and, you know, John Gruden wanted to use this kind of language, talking to his buddies, maybe, you know, nobody would have ever found out about it or it wouldn't have been there in black and white. And it would have never come back to, to bite him in the butt. And, and there might be an element of that. But this is this is 2021 and you've got the Internet. And any time you hit that send button, those things you have written are, are out there. And when it's more than just an isolated sort of thing, I don't I don't know if it's fair or not to Gruden. But the bottom line is it's, it's tough, at least for me, to be too sympathetic to him, because if you are in certain roles in the media, you just understand you can't do this stuff. Or at least you should understand that you just can't do this stuff. It's one of the things that comes with the territory. And I don't know what goes on behind closed doors in an NFL locker room or something like that. But when you put this type of stuff in writing, you understand that this is there's going to be consequences for it. And it's tough to defend Gruden for this type of thing. Um I know he didn't think it was going to come out, but it's just kind of the reality. And you just got to know that, and he's going to pay the consequence. But is he done? Yeah, I'd say stick a fork in him. All right, check out John McCure. Wisconsin's Afternoon News is coming right up.